Welcome to A Better Way podcast, dedicated to mompreneurs who want to do good and feel good at work, at home, and in life. We're your hosts, Courtney and Danielle, and we get the challenges you're facing because we're living them too. We'll share tangible tips we've learned along the way to help make your life a little easier and we hope a lot more fun. We'll also chat with other moms who are making it happen so we can learn from one another because together we can find a better way. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of A Better Way podcast. Today, Danielle and I are joined by Dr. Nicole Penzak. She is a licensed clinical psychologist and owner of Atlantic Coast Mind and Body in Little Silver, New Jersey. And we're so excited to have her on the show today. She specializes in treating moms with perinatal uh, mental health um, concerns and conditions and really specializes in all things motherhood. She uses evidence-based strategies and techniques, not to mention the fact that she is a busy mom and entrepreneur herself. Um, And I think that she's going to share a lot of helpful insights for our listeners today. So without further ado, I want to hand it over to you, Nicole, just to introduce yourself a little bit more and um, share with our audience who may or may not be familiar with you. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, As you mentioned, I am a clinical psychologist and I actually started out in academia and my research was focused on caregiver research. And as as my private practice expanded um, and I was working in the hospital setting as well, uh, I realized uh, that working with mothers, that mothers really are the ultimate caregivers and how can I apply, you know, that the, my program of research and the intervention, you know, I developed and tested to mothers and disseminate evidence-based resources for mothers in need. And especially after the pandemic, I ended up, um, I was sort of straddling both worlds. So I worked in the hospital setting. I was the director of psycho-oncology, uh, working with patients with medical problems and caregivers. And then Uh, During the pandemic, I was doing that and working in my private practice. My private practice started to expand, and I realized I couldn't do both. Um, So I transitioned just into my private practice. And then I had my second child uh, right at the start of the pandemic and went through postpartum myself. And I realized after going through it, coming out on the other side, that mothers really need more resources because I had all the resources and I suffered greatly, but I was able to get excellent treatment and I wanted to really share that uh, with moms out there. And so I started my Instagram page and then uh, really expanded my practice to focus mostly on, on mothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think it's so relevant and important when you use the term caregiver. So thinking about all of our listeners, um, if people are listening, they're moms, Um, they're busy, they're working on building a business. Um, And I think that the term caregiver is so important because oftentimes we're giving of ourselves all the time to other people. We're giving, 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 we're trying to add value. We're trying to take care of other people. We're trying to solve problems and it can leave you really depleted or detached from yourself. I know I've struggled with that personally, and um, it's an ongoing thing that I'm working through. Um, But what do you see in your research and in your practice as being the biggest struggles that busy, ambitious moms face today? I'm thinking, you know, if someone's listening to this, Um, how do they recognize that, you know, maybe what they're doing isn't working for them and there can be a better way, um, one that you've been kind of helping them through. 
Right. So I think that, you know, you're speaking to it, you know, mothers and caregivers, they're giving, giving, giving. And when you're an entrepreneur or a business owner or you have clients, uh, you're also constantly giving. So you cannot serve from an empty vessel. And so the research that I've worked in, you know, it's kind of um, commonplace that we say, uh, caregivers must take better care of themselves to take care of others. And it's like that metaphor, when you go on an airplane, you put your oxygen mask on first before putting it on your child. However, for moms, that's not necessarily uh, widespread. I think it's becoming more widespread and we're promoting that more, but it's not intuitive to mothers to do that. Mothers are like, I can sacrifice so much for the 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 well-being of my kids i can you know put myself last they're just naturally drawn to doing that and so what i really do in my practice is work with mothers to really put themselves first and put their needs first because in the long term that's going what's going to make you a better mother and so the single greatest predictor of childhood well-being is maternal mental health so it's with mom guilt and mom shame uh, we naturally go towards, okay, I am just going to forgo my needs and do whatever I can for my kids. But what I really work with them on is just really reframing it and saying, okay, the better you can take care of yourself, the better you can meet your own needs, the better you'll be able to give to your children and help them be a more resilient, you'll be a more resilient parent, you'll be better able to be present with them. Um, and so I promote self-care, but I also promote mental health treatment because self-care is not a substitute for mental health treatment. They're two different things. And I think that's important to recognize as well. And we need all of it. Mm-hmm. Are there, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Danielle. I was going to say, what do you, th- what role do you think society plays in women or mothers mental health? Right. Because, and the reason that this, that I'm thinking of this right now is, is, There's a lot of like joke mom comics and jokes about how if a dad, like in a good example is like, if a dad goes out and gets McDonald's for, for his kids for dinner, he's the fun dad. But Mm -hmm. if the mom goes out and gets McDonald's for her kids for dinner, she's lazy, isn't taking care of her children, et cetera. So like, there's certainly a double standard in society. Mm -hmm for mothers, like against what you're teaching them, right? Pulling them against what you're teaching them. And so like, what role do you feel society plays in this? And how do you help women rewire so that they aren't so guilt-ridden by society's pressures? Right. So I think you're absolutely right. There is a double standard and it's unfortunate when I work with my patients, I help them uh, do it anyway. Because what happens is, is that moms get caught up in how they're perceived. And I think that we really can't control other people's perceptions of us in general, nor should we really focus on that. Um, we, We really can't influence what they're gonna think about us. So let's not try, let's not go there. Let's shift the focus. And also don't assume that you know what other people are thinking. I mean, maybe, Uh, you know, a mother who's observing that would think, wow, uh, I admire that mother for just doing the easy thing today. And really just, you know, maybe they're making space for something else, you know, they have to get to another engagement. So they're picking up dinner quickly just to go with the, you know, fast food example. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you just never know. And so I try to get my patients to, and the people that I work with to step out of thinking about how others are perceiving them and just to do it anyway, because in that way, the mothers are going against the mom guilt and actually um, just focusing on doing what's best for their own needs and building their own resiliency against, you know, people are going to have something to say about anything that you do, no matter what. So it's really just about helping that mom become more resilient in the face of that. Mm -hmm. And what's in our control, by the way, because we can't control the double standard in society. We can't control how we're being perceived, but we can work against that individually for ourselves and our own mental health. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask to, I think that was a great question, Danielle, because one of my questions, one of my things that I always struggle is like the resistance. It's like, I know I should take care of myself and put myself first, but there's constantly resistance and it feels uncomfortable because of those societal expectations. But one of the things I'd love to know is you talk about self-care and then you also talk about maternal mental health, um, like treatments. And like, if someone's listening, when do they know if they just need more sleep and more space and more me time versus when do they know that they actually need the support of a professional? Maybe they need a support of the professional either way, but like, what are some of those things? Because I think that in my experience, having had two kids and now running a business, there's probably times where I probably should have sought help, um, earlier and more in depth. Um, instead of thinking if I just get through this next deliverable, or if I can just get through this next week, I'll be better. But realizing that you really actually, it's deeper than that. And you need someone with professional support to help you. Right. I think that's a great question. I get it a lot. And what I advocate for is actually to try not to make the decision yourself. If at all you're suffering or you think that maybe this isn't, you know, you're not feeling your best. I I've spent a lot of time writing about this and doing more research in maternal brain plasticity and the strength mm-hmm. that happen after you become a mother um, or a caregiver or a parent. It's not just limited to biological mothers, but for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to focus on the biological changes. Um, and there's a lot of resiliency, a lot of wonderful changes that occur that make mom brains uh, more evolved than before, uh, more efficient. And um, there's some research that suggests that some of those qualities also map onto being better leaders. However, we have to nurture that process. And so my goal is to get uh, mothers to thrive, not just survive, right? We all know that you can mostly power through. And I think a lot of us are suffering um, and not knowing you know, how much we're really suffering because we can get through it. And then in hindsight, it's like, wow, I really could have benefited from some extra help. So what I say is that you don't actually have to do the doctor's jobs for them. I would say, just get a consultation, talk to someone and see what they think. You might actually be diagnosed with something like high functioning anxiety or depression. And it looks very different from regular depression or anxiety. So it's when you're able to function at a really high level, but you're really suffering on the inside, but no one would know it. And we see stories like this all the time, um, but it takes you know someone with a professional lens to really diagnose that. So I would say, set up a consultation and find out, right? I think, so you mentioned the high functioning anxiety. It's interesting. Danielle can probably say, yes, Courtney, you suffer from that. Um, I, I'm not I saying suffer. anything. Yep. <laughs> um, But it is funny because, um, I feel like 
exactly what you said. Like nobody would know. And even you don't know because you're, you just think it's normal. And I think this brings up the other topic that relating back to like society Mm -hmm. and when moms chat with each other, it's like, it's common. So we Mm -hmm. think it's normal, but it's not normal just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal for us to be this way, which is really interesting. Um, and that's something I need to remind myself is just because other people are suffering from it too, doesn't make it normal. and doesn't mean we should. Um, because when I pull a lot of my friends, we're all suffering from the same things. Um, so we just think, well, this is just the way it's supposed to be, but it, it doesn't need to be. Um, yeah. but I want to dive into, I'm so interested by the brain plasticity that you talked about. So we've had a brain rewiring coach that specializes in working with moms on the show before. And I personally have engaged with coaches that help me better understand like the neuroscience and like patterns and, you know, how to use meditation and visualization and affirmations to really break through like those limiting beliefs. And that's something that's a work in progress for me, but I'd love to know more about specifically the mom brain and those changes and what is it? And then how can we use it to work for us instead of against us? Cause I'm, you talked about some really cool superpowers that are in there, but I'm not sure if I'm actually using them. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I think we're, there are a lot of brain changes that happen. There are a lot of hormonal changes that happen. I mean, basically, you know, some parts get smaller, some parts get bigger, gray matter increases here, gray matter decreases there. I won't get into like too much of the, of the neurological changes because it's not so important, but for example, um, you know, the phenomenon mommy brain, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's like the most common understanding of some of these maternal brain changes. And I think that, you know, mommy brain really needs a new PR rep because it's um, (laughs) associated with, you know, forgetfulness, but really what occurs is synaptic pruning and your brain is just basically like reorganizing itself so that um, only the most important uh, neural networks that are associated with child rearing um, are at the forefront. So It's why we can, you know, remember our schedule for our baby and all of our baby's needs. But when we talk about what we did yesterday, we have no idea. We can't remember, right? Because it's just not so important to to tending to the baby. But I would say that um, it's it's amazing what our mom brains can do. And that's just one of one of the changes. But I think some of the changes that occur also make us more vulnerable to depression and anxiety. Um, Just because if we're, so for example, we can be hypervigilant about our child's needs, but really, you know, it's a fine line because when we're um, over tending to our child's needs, it might be, uh, it might cause a deeper level of anxiety and really suffering that we need to tend to all of those needs. And, um, you know, it just really stresses out the system. So that's something that um, I would say, you know, things that we can do to, to, to work with these brain changes would be to one, um, get great maternal health care. So, um, mental health treatment. So that depression and anxiety can sort of treat that and get out of our own way. Right. And so allow our brain to sort of get to that place of thriving. Um, and then I would also say work with the tenets of neuroplasticity. So things like exercise can be really good. And there's a saying in neuroplasticity, um, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm -hmm. So while we have all these maternal brain changes happening to tend to our babies, um, I work with moms to really, um, along with that, focus on themselves 
And that way it's strengthening the neural networks that are already in place to go with, you know, trust that that's happening for your baby, but you actually have to work harder to attend to your own needs. But, but what I think is happening on a neural network level, and obviously there needs to be way more research on this. I mean, it's in its infancy, but um, if you can strengthen those networks by doing things to tend to yourself and take care of yourself, that's going to be strengthened along with taking care of your baby. And so that's where the neurons that fire together wire together. Mm -hmm. um, and then another strategy that I like to recommend is to lean into pleasure. So I think that a lot of moms um, and parents in general, you know, we, we tend to when things are going really well with our kids or we notice like a beautiful moment or we appreciate them, we're just like in awe of them or immediately um, it's immediately followed by, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like something bad is going to happen. This is too good to be true. You know, you imagine all the terrible things, you know, that can happen to our kids and that's really to protect our children. Um, and so it's natural that our brains will want to go there, but what neuroplasticity, the tenets of neuroplasticity would say is to, you know, lean into that moment and make the pleasure bigger. So you want to engage your senses more. You want to say, how can I make this moment bigger and really strengthen the neural networks around the pleasure associated with your kids? Because there's no one, you know, up there saying, okay, so many good things have happened. Now it's time for a bad thing, right? It's, it is random. And some, sometimes, you know, some families get, um, you know, they have more bad luck and some families, you know, aren't, child by stressors, you know, it's just, there's no like rhyme or reason to it. So what I'm saying is that you don't have to work so hard in those moments to think about when the next shoe is, when the shoe is going to drop, you can really lean into it, um, engage with your baby, engage with the moment, increase the pleasure that you're experiencing. And that actually, um, creates a more resilient brain. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That reminds me of Brene Brown's, um, foreboding joy concept. Yes, exactly. Is that from like the daring greatly book or something, but that really yeah. resonates with me. Like I'll be like putting my son down in his crib and I'll be like, Oh my God, he looks so sweet. And then immediately I think about like, what if like the roof collapses in or like, Oh my if, goodness. Yes. Or right. stupid things like, what if I lose a client like anything that could jeopardize my like, right. The joy. Yes. 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 Well, well, like we'll be going on vacation up to like Maine and I'll be like, what if we get in a car accident driving up there? Cause like, I'm excited to like go. I don't exactly. Know, you know you're nodding. I, yeah. I'm just like, well, my, what I'm thinking in my head is like, are there women who don't do this? It's a good, it's a good question because <laughs> Renee Brown actually told that story in one of her books. I can't, I've read basically all of her books, but in one of them, she was saying how she entered in an auditorium full of moms and she was talking about this foreboding joy concept. And she was telling this story and immediately all the mothers in the audience were saying, were, re were reacting to that. We're like, why do we do this? Why do we do this? And so I think it's a really common phenomenon. I think that, you know, Brene Brown also says joy is the most terrifying uh, emotion. I say that joy in motherhood is the most terrifying emotion mm -hmm. because it's attached to your kids. And these are the things that you love that you, you, you've experienced no love like this before. And it's so terrifying. And so I would say on the way on your trip, you know, try to get that intrusive thought out of your mind and focus on how you can make that car ride even more enjoyable. Focus on, you know, um, 
I don't know, having more fun in that moment, um, Mm -hmm. or connecting with your children in that moment, like, or eat a, eat a chocolate bar. I don't know, whatever it is, like increase your pleasure with all of your senses during that experience, because what it is, is it's going to build up your resiliency. And that is what would be great for your maternal brain, not focusing on doomsday that could be around the corner because it may be anyway, we have no idea right? But it's not helpful to think about that. It's not in our control. So what is in your control is focusing on the pleasure and really, um, and this is where I think it really strengthens your brain. And, uh, and I think over time it builds on itself and it, then it's easier for you to go back to that place and keep going to that positive mindset, right? As you practice sort of letting those thoughts be, and not attending to them, right? Because you have really strong neural networks that are working to protect that baby. You're like, I'm going to anticipate every single danger that's going to come up, right? But if we weaken those, we don't need them as much as we think we do, right? And increase neural networks attending to pleasure, you're going to have a more resilient brain. Mm-hmm. So then the the pathways that fire together or rewire, that whole saying is like, the more you practice being in the moment and not tending to stressful thoughts and taking care of yourself, the more, the easier it's going to be in the more natural. And it won't be your natural tendency to focus on the stressful thoughts. Correct. Right. Over time, as you practice, right. It really takes a shift in our maternal brain because your maternal brain goes through, this is what I'm talking about. The the changes that occur to protect the baby, to orient to the baby. So of course, from an evolutionary standpoint, you're going to want to anticipate any danger that's going to occur, right? This makes sense. This will help keep your baby alive, but you don't need it as much as you think you do. We really don't need to anticipate the roof collapsing. I mean, if the roof, if the roof collapses, we will respond and we can trust ourselves that we will respond, but likely that will never happen. Right. But our mom brain just comes up with these scenarios because we're like biologically programmed to do that. So what I'm thinking of right now is like the fact that I took like a full day long course in birthing, but like, which took like, which like was quick or maybe quick. I mean, it wasn't quick for me, but my point is just like, it's a period in time and it happens and then it's over. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas like I got literally zero education in how to be a mother and like protect my own like mental health. And so I wonder like, are other countries doing that? Like, is this something we're just, because in here's my thought process. It's like, all right, I'm like, whoa, like all mothers do this. And then I'm like, there should be education for mothers so that they understand that they're going to feel this way. And they should over index on the joy feelings and really try to suppress or, you know, reframe the, the, the dread feelings. And so like, and I mean, this is not the first time I've heard this. I see a therapist and I have these feelings. So, but like, there are lots of people who don't have access to therapists don't have access to this education. Like, why isn't it a part of just like what we get when you are pregnant And are there other countries that do focus on this? I'm just curious. To my knowledge, I don't think any country is doing this better than anybody else. I think that, you know, I think in terms of research, like I said, research is in its infancy. And I think we're not 
we're not there yet. And more money needs to be spent on research in these areas. There needs to be more programs of research in these areas to really find out. But, you know, like you said, I think every mother could benefit from understanding what's under the hood and what's going to happen with maternal brain changes and how your hormones and how these brain changes work with you and work against you. Here's what to look out for. Here's a maternal uh, mental health plan of care. I mean, this can all be done. And this is what, you know, I'm working on now and what I'm advocating for, you know, I'm actually, uh, this is the premise of the book that I'm writing. Um, And so there's just, there's just such a need for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I'm really trying to just push the conversation forward in this area. Um, And you're right. A lot of people don't have access to um, mental health care and, one of my main goals in academia and research was to disseminate the evidence-based interventions to, you know, that make them more disseminable, affordable, accessible. And so um, my work has been in translating, you know, those evidence-based strategies to the masses. So, you know, I've created an online intervention for caregivers of patients with, um, with medical illness. And it's, you know, they're like 20 minute videos. You can access them from anywhere. And it's basically a crash course in the therapy that would do. And right now the intervention's being tested in a randomized control trial at University of Colorado against the, you know, in-person, you know, therapist led um, um, program. So I'm, I'm curious to see the results of that. Um, and I think that there are lots of ways that we can get this education out there to mothers in terms of understanding brain changes, understanding hormonal changes and preparing them for motherhood. Because like you said, giving birth is, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not going to last that long, (laughs) right. And motherhood is sort of like forever. So and there's less you can do to control when you're in like labor and delivery. It's like, what's going to happen is going to happen. Like, yes, you may be able to learn to right. some pain techniques, but you can't really control the outcome. Um, whereas I feel like there's a lot more in your control in the long term when you're actually raising the kids and kind of, you know, finding your own way. But another thing I'd like to ask is you've talked a lot about the maternal brain changes and like hormone changes, but I'm wondering from having talked to my own mom, she had four kids. She was a working mom, super busy. And she says now, like looking back, she realizes that she did suffer from anxiety, but she didn't know what it was at the time. And no one really talked about it. So it was just kind of like suck Mm -hmm. it up and move on. So it was an issue then, but I wonder if, and I'd love your thoughts, if lifestyle and the pace of our life lives today have an impact. So having experienced my own health issues and been on like a healing journey, I do try to be conscious of my social media consumption of, um, the types of foods that I eat, um, making sure I'm limiting toxins. I know Danielle's, you know, very much passionate about that too. Do you think the prevalence or the severity or the suffering that moms are experiencing today is different because of our lifestyle, because of social media, because of our nonstop connected world, because of like environmental toxins. And maybe there's not enough research, but I'm just wondering if it's always been this way or if it's accelerated today. And if there's lifestyle changes we can make to support all of the, you know, mental health treatment that you recommend as well. Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. 
Really good question. I think it's complicated and I think it brings up a lot of good points. So one, I think that because of social media, because of, um, you know, more awareness around this now, I think that we are um, able to diagnose more. So um, it was, I think it was always an issue. I think that there was generationally less of a focus on you know, um, and culturally in terms of mental health and what mothers go through. And I think that, um, you know, currently we're getting better at it, but we're sort of, you know, uh, we're able to identify more people that have anxiety or depression. I can't say that, you know, I can't really speak to the rates or the base rates of you know, in prior generations to now and how that compares, because there's a lot of complicated factors. But I will say that after the pandemic, you know, what was once uh, one in five mothers are suffering from postpartum. Um, now it's one in three mothers are suffering. You know, there's a recent study out of, out of Michigan that showed that one in three mothers were screening positive for postpartum depression. So, you know, that has been a societal um, cultural impact of recently that impacts um rates of depression and anxiety. Uh, and I do think that I had a really interesting conversation with a colleague several weeks ago about how lifestyle in particular, um, our more sedentary lifestyle can actually uh, contribute to depression and anxiety in general, and how back in the day they used to prescribe knitting for depression, because what happens is, is that, um, uh, in our brain, there's a lot of motor neurons that are dedicated to uh, motor activity. And since we're delegating more tasks and having more sedentary lifestyles, you know, we're engaging less of our brain and less, you know, less activity in our brain. And so there's a theory that um, that can actually contribute to depression. Like why are depression rates on the rise in general when we have, you know, more um, antidepressants out there when we have more resources to treat depression. So, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting and complicated question. And I can't really say definitive. I don't think we know definitively it's this, this, or this. I do know that, um, there are lots of things that contribute to depression and anxiety, and they can be genetics, environmental, um, and situational and relationship focus and hormonal. And so it's, so it's hard to pinpoint, but I think that it's a really important topic of discussion and needs, you know, more attention. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty I sure that eating healthy and exercising is like pretty much the answer to everything. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned knitting because like, well, one, it's funny. I'm going to totally make a generalization, but anyone I know who knits is actually generally a very healthy and upbeat person. So maybe there's something to that, but I had it like I exercise and I eat healthy. That's like a non-negotiable for me all the time, but that still wasn't enough for this, what we're going to term high functioning anxiety that I <laughs> suffer from. And yeah. I was working with a health coach and she encouraged me to like get back involved in a hobby. And I was a competitive Irish step dancer my entire life. And so this past February, I started adult classes again and I just had class last night. And I said to my husband last night, like, I'm so glad I did it. It's the, it's an hour and a half every week that I lose myself. And it's the only time I'm not thinking about my business or my kids. If I'm on a treadmill, if I'm out for a run, if I'm doing yoga, I'm still thinking about my to-do list, but it's the one time I've given my body and my mind a break from the stress of everything else. And I feel like most moms can't say that they have something like that, like an outlet. Like I wouldn't have, if this person didn't push me to sign up for it. So I'm realizing in hindsight, like 
what that is actually doing for me. And the fact that I didn't have that space before versus now is huge, even though it's one day a week. Um, so that's really interesting, the whole knitting thing. But I think, you know, if anyone is listening to this, one of the things I struggle with is being someone that's uh, focused in the brand and marketing world. I work so often with clients that are very active in social media. And it's funny because strategically I can advise and guide on it, but I'm a little bit allergic to social media myself. Like I notice my mental health is really bad when I focus on it for myself. Whereas if I'm doing a content strategy or content planning for a client, it's very different. And so I'm just knowing our audience and knowing that so many people are building businesses on social media. Um, and in this, um, digital landscape, as opposed to face-to-face and having some of those in real life connections. I think that from my perspective, I think that presents new challenges that I didn't have when I was in an office setting, working with a team every day, um, that I think moms should just be really cognizant of, because I think it's easy to not realize how much that's affecting you just because it's so much a part of their day-to-day and their business strategy. And also give people permission to build businesses in a way that supports their mental health as opposed to doing things that you think you need to do because everyone else is telling you you should do Mm -hmm. it, but it's not really working. So that's just me and my high horse and I'm going to get off of it now. (laughs) I I think you both bring up some amazing I mean, I could, I could, you know, go in any direction with this conversation, but I'll, I would like to touch on what you've said. So, um, you know, I'd like to say that, yes, exercise is known as nature's antidepressant. And I think that it's really important to exercise, um, in terms of self-care, right. But I don't think, you know, I think exercise can really help us feel better. I think that it can regulate our mood and our sleep and everything else that, you know, and it keeps it all on an even keel. Um, I think, you know, what you're, what you're speaking about in terms of this dance class, which sounds amazing. And can I try it? Um, is that you're talking about something different that I like to speak about. And it's the difference between, um, surviving and thriving, but what you're describing in that dance class, I refer to as a concept of, um, mom flow, which is derived from, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the concept of flow, Mm -hmm. um, where you're completely in a transcendent state, you're fully present and you just lose track of time. And I think that is so important for moms. And I think, you know, um, a, there's a lot of attention around this now. I know, you know, Eve Rodsky's book, Find Your Unicorn Space, it sort of speaks to this as well. But um, mm-hmm. uh, it's the concept of finding, you know, even if it's just an hour and a half a week, I actually work with my patients and clients and for myself, you know, after becoming a mom, I noticed that I didn't have those hours and hours to like write and immerse myself into any sort of creative activity, you know, and I was constantly being interrupted and figuring it out. So I had to come up with this concept of mom flow where I would have, I would want to get into that transcendent state, but I would have to do it much quicker. Right. So I had to practice and sort of like when the opportunity presented itself, just jump on it, take it and engage in the activity. Like I did it for painting over the pandemic. And so I was able to achieve a flow in about, you know, 20 minutes to, you know, and I only had like an hour chunk of time, but, um, so like you, so I think it's wonderful that you're engaging in that. And I think looking for those opportunities when you can sort of immerse yourselves and get your brain trying to change the channel. Don't think about, you know, you're trying to get out of the mindset of thinking about your kids and having that space for yourself. And, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and a, and a businesswoman, it's like, you're working 24 seven, right? It's like, you're in charge. And I think that one of the frustrating, I can 
completely empathize with what you were talking about on social media. Um, I, I experienced the same sort of feelings and I, and I also try to check in with myself and figure out, okay, how is this working for me? I know that it's sort of, um, how things work now, right. In terms of businesses and marketing, and also how can I be true to my own interests and needs and my own mental health? And I just wonder, you know, and, um, you know, if, if Instagram shut down for a day, like, or just went away, where would we be? Like, how would our businesses function? And I sort of think of that mindset and I am a little bit nostalgic for, for being in person and having a team around you and not having to sort of do it this way in the social media world. But, um, you know, it's also been great because I've been able to connect with, you know, clients from all over or, you know, just moms from all over sharing their stories and getting the information out there. So I think it's like a double-edged sword and you have to really, I love that you're checking in with yourself and seeing, you know, and noticing how it affects you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm laughing because I just do it for my clients all day and then I never do it for myself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Danielle's much better at that aspect than I am. Danielle's right. Oh, well, I just don't uh, see. I'm actually pretty self-aware. It's funny. Like when you were talking about the whole, like, when do you know that you need a therapist? Like I know mm-hmm. I'm, there's a difference between me feeling like, you know, having an intrusive thought that's not serving me and me being completely consumed by something and literally not able to function and like do other things during the day because of that thought. And like, that's to me where I'm like, like, I don't have a desire to do anything else besides root, like marinate on like these thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm like, like, and I, and I got to that place a lot during COVID just being like, I can't do this. Like, it's like, I can't do this anymore. Like I need to control every little piece of everything. And like, that's very hard for me in particular because I have a blended family. Um, so we have, you know, one member of our family goes to another house half the week and then comes back to our house. So like, that was a huge struggle of mine, just like the lack of control I had in my own family's health during COVID. And, and I'm not saying that I'm right. And this is you know, unless you feel this way, you shouldn't see a therapist, but like, I've just gone to therapy for so long, been medicated for so long that like, I know mm-hmm. when, I, like when I need help. Right. Well, you're like a professional patient. And also I think that is <laughs> yes. you know, no, but in, in a good way, in a yeah. good way, like, you know, yourself, but I, I feel like, you know, you're, you're in, you're probably in a place where you're thriving. Like, you know, yourself enough where when you see a dip, no, yes, seriously. Yes. No, thriving is not the absence of like struggling or suffering or bad things happening sure. I and mean, that happens. But like when you're not, when you're free from rumination and free from, you know, being held back by anxiety or depression, like that's what we provide in therapy, right? It's not like mm-hmm. happiness. That's not the goal. At least that's not the goal I sell, but, um, you know, it's really freedom from mental illness. And so, um, you know, the fact that you know yourself enough to know when you need therapy, I think is really great. And I think that should be a goal for, you know, for people to understand about themselves, you know, when do I need this? When do I need that? Like understanding their needs. Mm-hmm. However, I do think 
not everyone under, understands that or is aware of that to that to the nuanced level. And I think it's really important to highlight the fact that you said that the goal in therapy is not happiness. And I say that because I've done a lot of mindset work in my life and I've worked with therapists, I've worked with coaches, and I think that if I'm not happy, then I'm doing something wrong. But I think it was Glennon Doyle who I was listening to her podcast like a couple months ago. And it was like, let's give up the shtick that like happiness is the goal and that everyone's like, if you're not happy that you're doing something wrong because life isn't just like, isn't always going to be happy. And I think there's a level of acceptance that needs to come with that too. When people are getting better that like, it's not about creating the perfect life and it's not about being happy because that's actually never going to happen. It's just going to perpetuate your feelings and concerns. So I think that's a really important designation that you pointed out about like happiness is not the goal. It's to remove the barriers that are keeping you from functioning and the, the elements of mental illness that you're struggling with. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think the goal is a full and meaningful life and also just freedom from mental illness and happiness to me is a moment or fleeting, right? It's, it's great pleasure, but it's not sustainable. And I think that, you know, we wouldn't be able, even if it were possible, it would just diminish over time anyway. So it doesn't make sense that that would be, you know, where I don't think as a culture, we should aim for, for happiness. I think that that's unreasonable. And also we don't have control over things that happen. I mean, life um, can give us, uh, you know, tragedy and we can still find ways to move forward. And actually there's, um, I was just writing about this recently, a phenomenon called post-traumatic growth. And it's when, you know, tragedies happen to us, but we find a way to make meaning out of it and actually come out better on the other side. And I think of that, as sort of, you know, again, getting to that place of thriving amidst, you know, bad things happening. But would, would, would we say that we're happy, like happy? No, I think that we would be, you know, um, you know, in an optimal level of functioning, you know, not, um, not, you know, uh, held back by any sort of mental, mental health symptoms. Um, and that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that we never have an intrusive thought or a relapse in, you know, a moment of depression or, you know, it's, we want them fewer and further between you know, the recovery, the, um, progression is not linear. It's more like a forward spiral. And so you may hit some of the same spots, but you're always coming to it with more resources, more insight, and, you know, more treatment, more, more coping strategies. So, you know, I do like to, you know, emphasize that progress is not linear. And I think that, you know, Danielle, when you were speaking, I'm thinking like, okay, you're, you know, on your way to thriving. And so I think that, um, I think that what I want for mothers is to to sort of give them the tools that they can nurture their new maternal brains and understand all the changes that occur, also help them cope and, uh, you know, figure out um, negotiating these new roles and, um, you know, uh, needs being drained from us and and how that affects us and just being flexible and and reassessing. And and, and I think that really um, can get them to a place of thriving. And that's what I want for for moms, because Mm -hmm. it's just, I think the bomb brain is just so phenomenal and brilliant. And I think that when we have all these barriers, we can't, we can't access that. But I think that moms are our greatest resource and um, we need to nurture them more because there's a lot of power underneath. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Before we wrap up, something you like to ask all of our guests, and I think you're uniquely positioned to answer this is if you were to share a better way with fellow mompreneurs based on your own experience, what would it be and why? And I'd love to ask that from the perspective of you're not only, you know, a specialist in this area, but you are a business owner and a mom yourself too. So if Mm -hmm. you were to look back on the journey you've traveled and what did you wish there was, what did you wish you knew that there was a better way? What would that be that you would share with moms that you wish you knew looking back? I don't know if there's one thing I thought I knew. Uh, Honestly, I'm in my own, you know, therapy and I have some great thought partners and I always reach out and consult with experts in terms of if I'm trying to figure something out or I need information or how to make something work for me, either in my business or professional goals or just in general. So I'm, so I think that, um, you know, I'm, I don't know if there's one thing that I wish I knew earlier on, except that, you know, I set up my really great postpartum mental health care plan and I was able to be treated in like nine days. And I think that, that just helped me tremendously. Um, and perhaps maybe considering that after the birth of my first child, um, you know, maybe delving more into um, treatment then, but I was sort of in therapy then. So I don't, I don't know. I got to think. Well, I think that. something great you said is like, you weren't, you didn't do it alone, even though you're an expert in this field. And I think so often we think we need to do it alone. Um, yeah. or we think we're supposed to know. And so we're afraid to ask for help. Cause we're like, well, aren't, aren't we supposed to know everyone else knows everyone else is doing it. So I really think that that's an important reminder because it removes some of the stigma from it. And also just mm-hmm. lets people know they don't have to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. No. And I think that, you know, just to be more compatible, you know, what I, do wish that I always would have done is just to, to have been more compassionate with myself and to allow myself to be a beginner and not having to know things and sort of go through and learn and to be okay with that. I think that, you know, naturally, you know, I was a person that didn't ask for help ever, or, um, you know, thought I should know how to do something. Um, and it's much easier when you can turn to the experts in the room or, you know, the people that uh, have just, you know, greater knowledge and and learn from them. And I think that the more I do that, the more I benefit um, and move forward. And I think that, you know, that's, that's the best. I think that's, you know, just find your village, um, reach out for for help and surround yourself with a really good team, really good thought partners that can help you um, get to where you want to be. Yeah, I think that's important. Well, thank you, Nicole. Um, If anyone wants to connect with you as a follow-up to today's episode, where can they find you? So they can find me on Instagram at Dr. Nikki Pensack. Uh, I do have a website as well at www.drdrnicolemoylepensack.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know Danielle and I really enjoyed the conversation and I think our listeners will too. So for our listeners, be sure to go check out um, Dr. Nicole and all of the great work that she's doing. I know I've checked out her Instagram um, and follow along and she provides some really, really good educational and inspirational content. So definitely give her a follow and we will catch you on the next episode of A Better Way Podcast. Thanks everybody. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to today's episode. For more information from today's chat, including how to reach us, head on over to the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the exciting episodes to come. And please, if you liked what you heard, be sure to leave a rating and review. It's how we can help other busy moms find their better way. Until next time, mom friends.